Welcome back to the History of Rock. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He is the rock star. Class is in session as we're rolling through Woodstock 99. I think we can knock this out here and we can finish this thing up in this uh, in this episode. So we're going to do that. We're going to dive right in. It's going to be a lot right of value. A lot of value. A lot of value in this episode. Where did we leave off? We wrapped up uh, basically on Friday and now we're picking up on Saturday and Kid Rock performed on Saturday. And I, I still remember this. The dude came out in a big white fur fucking coat and it was like 100 yeah. it was like 100 degrees out that day yeah i remember him the, it was one of the first times that i saw someone walk out he walks out with the coat with the cane and the hat and then he just he, he walks around he looks around and i'm thinking like oh cool that's his he, he doesn't do anything except walk around and then eventually take this stuff off and then hand it to some guy they walk away and i'm like that's it you're not even going to sing the song wearing it. And then he takes a pose. He does that thing where he's like, and I was like, all right, it, it's your stick. My name is Ken. And I was like, and the drop on Bati Wabba, fuck, man. That oh, wait, is a wait, 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 on what? On Bati Wabba, Bati Wabba, Bat Baba. I don't know. No one knows what that fucking song is called. It's called Bawa Taba. Is it Bat? Bawa Taba, Bati Wabba. Bati Boom Boom, Skidadadad, Skiboom. Okay, so what you mentioned last episode is that Kid Rock didn't make it down in australia like he just he didn't translate down there nope no it may here's the thing limp biscuit was corn blew up big time limp biscuit boom kid rock followed the trend right of having hip-hop and rock and then all kid rock did was introduce a country element into it so it was well, like country rock with hip-hop stuff but in the beginning he was really almost stri- like i don't want to say strictly hip-hop but I mean, he he yeah. had been around a long time before. Um, is it, was the album "Devil Without a Cause"? Am I remembering yeah. that? Uh, yeah, "Devil Without uh, a Cause" is the big one. Um, that was the one that had uh, "Bawitaba" or whatever the fuck you call, whatever the hell Batiwaba. you call it. Batiwaba, Batiwaba, Yeah, that was I'm gonna his, call it Baklava. That was his fourth studio <clears throat> album, and I, I still remember. Yeah. So that one obviously blew up, and that was that blew up. You know, right there, like it was my first year right after high school. And I remember when I gained a ton of respect for Kid Rock was when it was an, an MTV thing where they, I think it was, they were doing the whole find a VJ thing where they did this contest. And uh, it was like, you know, they were doing these auditions for these VJs and this weird kid named Jesse Camp ended up winning it. But then they brought in Dave Holmes, who was this other guy who was like a professional, like actual DJ and he was just better at the job. It was just this Jesse kid was fucking weird. And people were like, oh, I'm going to vote for him. And Kid Rock performed while they were there in like Times Square. And I remember watching him and he went and sang. Then he went and played guitar. And then he went and played the drums. And then he went and jumped on the turntables. And I was like, son of a bitch. Like that guy's, that guy's got it. I was impressed. Mm. I was very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. In Australia, we didn't catch any of that stuff. All we caught was Devil Without a Cause, and it was I'm Going to Be a Cowboy Baby, which was one of the big ones. Batiwaba didn't make the radio here, but whatever the fucking song, Baklava didn't make the radio. And it, it was actually a little bit of a weird conversation thing where it was like, it was, it was a point of contention in high school, but they were like, you listen to Kid Rock, what's the matter with you? You fucking, were well, you American with all the, the cowboy shit? Uh. And it was like, but, and, but if you had a brain, you'd be like, well, Limp Biscuit is fucking skater, new metal rock. Like it's, it's just as American. It's just from California instead of what fucking Mississippi or wherever or, or no, Detroit. God damn it, Kid Rock was from Detroit. Limp Biscuit was yeah, from yeah. Jacksonville. For fuck's but sake. But here's my point. Here's my point, though. In Australia, we don't know any of that shit, and we don't care. We just see a cowboy hat versus a red hat, and we go, well, one street and one's cowboy. We do street and skateboarding in Australia. We don't have cowboys in the city in Australia anyway. So that's that's why people find it so funny when they're like, why didn't this band make it there? Why didn't this TV series make it there? Because there are th- certain things that if there is enough America in it, it's too much for Australia. We're like, well, we don't get any, we don't get Westerns. We don't get cowboy references, like, unless it's the Clint Eastwood movie. Like, we don't get that stuff. We don't, like, Tiger King? Fucking what? Did I just freeze? Did my yeah. video freeze yeah, for a second back. or was that me? Yeah. yeah. Tiger when King, you, we watched it. It froze when you were saying Tiger King. Yeah. What? Anyway, let's go back to what we were talking about. The big story from Saturday. Let's talk about the big story from Saturday. Are you? Did you actually freeze on that face? You? It looked, how did you do that? That was really good. You like that? <laughs> Fucking. Okay, That's, now I'm dude, jealous. All right. Look, look, look. 
you know, I, there's a lot of things in my life that I tune the fuck out, like barking dogs and shit like that. I can I can daze off <laughs> on a whim, like on a nothing. fucking random night. It's nothing, nothing, it's just nothing but ocean waves in my head as the dogs are fucking yapping at something outside. Anyway, go ahead. So the big story. The big story from Saturday. The big story from Saturday was obviously. Limp Biscuit. One major problem, though, is that after the weekend, news stations would play footage of Limp Biscuit intertwined with the fires from Sunday, making it seem like Limp Biscuit was responsible for Sunday night's riots. Yeah, and it's I, again, it's something that just it goes to show you that. And of course, there's a lot of people who are like, "Oh, the news is always propaganda. It's this and this and this." And however you want to look at that shit. Now they try to do the shit based on ratings. Like that's all they're trying to do. Yeah. And if they can like yeah. make something look bigger than it was they're they're gonna fucking do that so almost yeah. all of limp biscuits said was call and response like it's fred's work in that fucking crowd man like go yeah. watch their full set and he worked it to a fucking t so one yeah. big thing that has been pointed out during limp biscuits set was the sound tower that had the alamo sign on it because it was like the last stand of the alamo because right. they were tearing off the plywood and shit Usually, this is made to look like they made the sign as Limp Biscuit was playing break stuff and the plywood was being torn down. That wasn't the case. As I watched Limp Biscuit's entire set, plywood had already been ripped off and the sign was up before break stuff. Now, maybe that stuff was because Limp Biscuit, their uh, break stuff was kind of towards the middle ish end of their set. So, may, like, who knows how soon that stuff was up. But they make it seem like oh, it was because of Limp Bizkit and Hold on, let me ask you. I need to clarify. They put up a sign, said the Alamo on it. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. The people in the I sound don't understand tower. that. So the people Alamo, in the, sound tower. And, the Alamo in San Antonio, it's like uh, the Last Stand, where you had like Davy Crockett right. and these other um, Americans who were trying to hold the Alamo, and they just got overrun by Mexicans and got the shit kicked right. out. Of and why did they put that sign on the? Because they sound felt tower. like they were being overrun by the crowd. At that point, they, that they, they actually wow. Okay, and so this was Saturday. Okay, cool. And so I don't know exactly when that went up, but it was there before the song break stuff. Now, for all I know, it right. had gone up two minutes before that. You know, I don't know. Right, right. Because you can see that there are already pieces of plywood that have been ripped off of the sound tower before break stuff starts. They don't. They try to make it look like, well, break yeah. stuff was the song where everybody just started breaking stuff. It's like, yeah. well, no, they were breaking shit before that. Like, that that yeah, was already yeah. a thing. So, not yeah. to be like that's some sort of fucking excuse for it. I'm just I'm just <laughs> pointing that out. But Jonathan Davies and Fieldy from Corn. Oh, my God. Kid Brock. Oh, my what? God. Say his name. What? Fieldy or Jonathan Davis? Davis. You're like Jonathan Davies. I'll get fucked. That's how we say it here. Jonathan no. Davis or Davies. That, but that's what we say. Jonathan Davis. Oh, my Davis. God. I'm so sorry. I offended your delicate sensibilities God, say it fucking Kid Rock, right. but here's the thing I got a question right. it says here that P. Diddy were all on the side of stage for Limp Bizkit set was P. Diddy I don't know P. Diddy played how many of these fucking popbacks played think, Woodstock no P, P. Diddy did not he was just there hanging out okay at least I don't think let me double, P. Let me double check that really quick okay I, I don't think so, I don't think he performed I know the DMX so anyway did. they were they were all on the side of the stage for Limp Bizkit set, along with Vern Troyer, Mini Me from Austin Powers. Yeah. Wow. All right, hold on one sec here. I'm going to look and see if cause I don't think. Um. No, I, I like uh, P Diddy did not perform. He was just there to see him. He was just hanging out. Yeah. But have you ever gotten to go, go ahead with this? Mini Me from Austin Powers. Tell so, me about that. I met that dude. We had a festival down in Florida, and it was it was some sort of like horror festival where they would, and it was just they'd bring, or not festival, con, convention. And they brought Vern Troyer in because he was Mini Me. And then they also had this other little person actor who was in um, Bordello of Blood. So as we were getting ready to leave, we were there at the radio station, and Vern Troyer was there. We're like, oh, it'd be really fucking cool to meet Vern Troyer. Like they had some other big name act, like Sid Haig, who played uh, Captain Spaulding in House of a Thousand Corpses. He was there. The dude okay. that was in the original uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, like in the, in the outfit, he was there. Yeah. So we uh. go to meet Vern Troyer, and it's gonna kill me until I figure out this guy's fucking name because he deserves to be mentioned properly. Um, the guy that played Mini Me from Austin Powers. No, that's Vern Troyer. Um, the guy that okay. I'm talking about is, of course, he's not going to show up right here. Uh, oh, uh, Phil Fundacaro was his name. And so 
the way that they would get around the hotel because it was the convention was actually inside the hotel's convention center was they just put them on a luggage cart and just pushed them around because they're they're like Vern Vern couldn't really walk and you know Phil Fondacaro is a little guy so they just kind of pushed him around on that and then when we went to go meet them the handler for Vern Troyer said he goes you can shake his hand but do not squeeze you'll break it because he was so fragile because of his condition his bones were so brittle they're like you can shake it but don't squeeze because you will break his hand dude yeah and he was a cool dude wow so and it's it's funny because you can see them he's up there uh, Vern Troyer's up there fucking rocking out to Limp Bizkit and shit Jesus um, Christ so yeah so at 26 minutes into their set Durst says one thing I'm not seeing here and then there's a long pause and then you just kind of hear him go okay I won't say that <laughs> so you're assuming he's going to be like boobs like one thing yeah, is I'm not right. seeing enough boobs and so I, I think by this point, 26 minutes into Limp Bizkit's set, I think they're already in his ear letting him know, hey, stuff is kind of getting out of control. Can you help us contain it a little bit? Because he does he does mention throughout most of the set, hey, like, he doesn't necessarily say you need to mellow out, but they're saying calm down, but you're here to have fun. Like, you can see he's struggling with that. Because right, right. you can tell they're in his ear telling him, you need to do this, but then he's also thinking, we're here to fucking rock out, so why would I tell yeah, them yeah. to chill the fuck out, you know? Yeah. But, but I don't know if he knew the magnitude of the stuff that was obviously going on. See, um, it's funny, I haven't watched that. I've, I've never watched that whole set from the beginning. I've never gotten to that part because of the feedback. I've watched, like, break stuff as a clip, yeah. and then, like, the first couple of songs, but I've never watched the whole thing in its yeah, entirety it wasn't, I can't, it wasn't, can't pass it wasn't the feedback. Easy, it wasn't easy, easy to get through, but go ahead and pick yeah. up the next one here, yeah. So um, at 43 minutes into Limp Biscuit's set, Durst starts a fuck Limp Biscuit chant. At this point, they actually cut off his microphone. After almost two minutes, Fred tries to go into Nookie and Wes Borland even plays the opening rift, but Durst promptly stops him by saying, that fucking mic ain't working. Don't play that shit, Wes. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically for, they're shutting they're shutting him down at this point. He's walking around and he's like, Can you hear me? And it sounds fine on the recording because it's mm. just it's picking up his microphone directly through that board. But and it's I not guess going through the speakers. And I guess yeah, and I guess you can see the people are like, No, and he's like, You can't hear me and it's kinda awkward for almost two yeah. full fucking minutes. And then he mentions going into Nookie and then um, you hear the like the beginning of Nookie mm. and he's like, uh, he tells Wes to stop because they can't fucking hear him. So right after this like, right after this is when Limp Bizkit's manager comes up to him. He whispers something in Fred's ear. Not sure what it was. And then he kind of doesn't even acknowledge it. Durst doesn't. And then he goes right into it. Okay. Like, That's, it's... Like, fuck, this is I'm interesting. You, yeah. So, so at, at these times, if you guys want to, anybody tuning into this podcast, go to those times where you can go to 26 minutes where he's like, I'm not seeing enough of it. He's like, okay, I won't say that. Or you go to 43 minutes and you can see the struggle of where like they've cut off his mic and shit. Jesus. So Limp Bizkit never did anything wrong. They actually were pulling back on their... Because he was known for inciting, not violence, but inciting pretty heavy action from a crowd. I don't don't think... Like, you could... You can tell that he was struggling with what to do. Because, again, like I said, their whole set's call and response. It's, I'm going to do something. I'm going to say something, you fucking do it. Or I'm going to say something, you do it. Like the, fuck! Limp Bizkit is what he was doing yeah. and then there's yeah. like nothing from the crowd yeah yeah yeah, yeah. come on so Jeez. yeah I mean, it's, it's, a yeah. lot was made so a lot was made of Fred ending up on one of the pieces of plywood that came from the sound tower before this he talked about getting to a smaller setup to his left out in the crowd he wanted to get out there for Faith to perform the song in the middle of the crowd. The plywood would have to do, though. And that is the infamous shot that every news outlet around the world ran with, which was like, he is the God figure that told the audience to break stuff. And he's standing on top of his broken stuff throne as he is wheeled around like a God. And that was oh, all anyone fucking paid attention but to. But he didn't. So when he got on the plywood, he didn't move. You can you can see his security team holding that fucking piece of plywood and him back. Yeah. 
to make sure that yeah. they don't shuttle his ass out there. Like you can even see the one security guy's ass like the whole time because they're holding him back. It's like a chain yeah. of people making sure he does not end up out there. So you yeah. had in the crowd, you've got the sound tower, the big sound tower with the Alamo sign on it. And then a little bit out, I would say maybe 20 yards or so, there's a smaller little setup right there with some speakers and stuff on it. He wanted to get to that. Because at one point, if you go watch the full set, he's like, I want to get over there. He says it on the mic. He's like, I want to get over there. But then I think they realize there's no fucking way we can safely get him there. He's going to get eaten. Yeah. Yeah. So then you see the plywood coming over. And before he had said, that's some cool shit. And then they bring one over. And then he can finally start um, actually, you know, surfing on the the piece of plywood. So Mm. on on the Woodstock 99 Wikipedia page, it says... Partway through break stuff, Durst encouraged the crowd to become angry. And I put a note here, well, no shit. The song is called Break Stuff. And the previous uh, Durst quote, uh, I think it was something else that I actually I fucking deleted. Um, but yeah, no, it was like, like, well, yeah, the song is called fucking Break Stuff. It's like Rage yeah. Against the Machine, don't, you know, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. It's like, and then they told them, they're yeah. not listening to what you were doing. And it's like, well, yeah, yeah. that's the fucking <laughs> song, you dipshit. Yeah. yeah. Like at that point, but the problem is that you really are in a bit of a pickle. I know I said the word pickle, but they were, they were in a bit of a pickle because they wanted to, they, like Limp Biscuit at the time was a big draw card and people are already pissed. So if you say, hey, we're just canceling Limp Biscuit because you guys are about to tear the place down, they're going to tear the place down. So you're really kind of stuck, aren't you? You got to send Limp Biscuit out and say, can you do a Diet Pepsi version of a Limp Biscuit set for us, Fred? That was a fantastic. You know. That was a fantastic way to like include a Limp Bizkit song in that little uh, thing right there by saying "stuck." That was one of the songs they played at Woodstock. You're That's stuck. Great. Come on, man! You don't know this shit. So anyway, so well, really quick, that, before that was you... a three dollar bill, yo. Yeah, right? is that three three dollar? But yeah, I don't. Yeah. No one cares about that record. Wait, oh, 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 <laughs> fuck you, sir. Counterfeit? Come on! I just wanted to see what happened. I just That's wanted to see what happened. That's a one with faith, you son of a bitch. That's a good album, man. Didn't make it to Australia, man. Yeah. First thing we heard was Nookie. Move closer. Is it my turn? Or yeah, can I talk no. now? You, 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 eyewitnesses no, claim. No, no, no. Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses claim to have seen a crowd surfing woman pulled down into the crowd and. Gang raped during Limp Biscuit's set. A volunteer also reported seeing gang rape during the corn performance. So this was reported. This was reported during their sets. Is that true? Well, see, that's what we don't know. Is is right? It, it, it's it's unclear. But these were some of the claims that were coming out after the fact, and mm. it, it, it's just it's it's crazy <laughs> hearing that that should that shit could have gone down. So John Shearer again. He was one of the organizers and promoters. He didn't know what he was getting with the bands that they had booked. Like we mentioned before, he didn't know most of these bands, and he still blames Fred Durst. A lot of people would think the promoters... Uh, oh, this, oh, this is what I was talking about before when I had actually worked with, you know, booking shows and concerts and things right. like that. It's yeah. like, a lot of people think the promoters should have more knowledge of what they're booking. Yeah, you'd be surprised how much the people who are putting these things together don't have a fucking clue what they're doing. They don't have a clue nope. about any of this shit. And coincidentally <laughs> enough, so Corn was kind of like... They're what's known for Friday night, even though Bush still did a really good job. Saturday night, you had Limp Biscuit, but then you still had Rage Against the Machine and Metallica. But in the Netflix documentary, they make the comment, you could tell the crowd was there for Limp Biscuit, which is really weird to say when you've got Rage Against the Machine and Metallica yeah. coming up. But this mm. was right when, because this was the summer of 99, and this was the summer where Nookie was the fucking song, oh. man. It was, yeah, you it was could not pink. get away from it. Hmm. Yeah, it was the peak. It was their year. That was their fucking year. Yeah. So, and then obviously 100%. you can see the next one here when it comes to the Netflix documentary. And the next Netflix documentary completely skips over the fact that Rage Against the Machine and Metallica performed after Olympus. You, you just, I'm, you, that's the same thing. Okay. So I'm just I mean, reiterating what Brandon said. Wait, no, because it's, it's, they point out that Limp Bizkit was the kind of like the band. But the documentary yeah. doesn't even talk about Rage Against the Machine or Metallica. What I really want to know is what happened to the crowd? What happened to the pandemonium? What happened to the plywood? What happened to the whole situation? 
for Rage Against the Machine and Metallica. It just kind like, of what were people actually doing? It just they just kept burning it to the ground. No, well, so there was no burning at this point because remember that didn't right. happen until Sunday. So obviously, Sunday, it was, that's right. It was still pretty fucking crazy. But you still had Rage Against the Machine play. You still had Metallica play. So the documentary for Netflix, the uh, train wreck. It's three parts, and each part is a, like each a day. day. Yeah, it's like Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday. So they wrap up part two with with Limp Biscuit essentially, and there's which really is bullshit. No mention That's really whatsoever. Bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then Sat. Oh, actually, no, I take it back. Um, I, I, I because I isn't think- isn't just as a sidebar. Limp Biscuit before Raids Against the Machine isn't that putting the cart before the horse? Why? Well, fucking. You know how Rage feels about Limp Biscuit. For Rage to be playing right after Limp Biscuit and being like, "Why are we on the same stage as these people?" Like they hated Limp Biscuit. Yeah. I mean, they they were there and they played, so it couldn't have been yeah. that bad. Gigs a gig, yeah. So, uh, and actually, I, I take it back. This this is where I, I, I can't quite remember how the documentary went. If this was part two or part three, but go, Saturday night going into Sunday morning, Fat Boy Slim played at the Rave Hangar. So to keep the party going all night, they had one of these big old Air Force hangars which was the rave hanger. And no one had really told him of all the shit that was going down and kind of how crazy right. things had been. He fucking comes out to his set and he starts with a fat boy slim is fucking in heaven. Fat boy slim is fucking in heaven. Fucking and fucking and fucking and fucking. And then like that's when the beat drops and like people start going fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I could only imagine being there because he, I mean, he had not been, I mean, granted that starting with that song isn't going to be, you know, all of that. I don't think that's going to incite anything really, but the way they, they bring it up on the Netflix documentary is that he's like, I had no idea. So I just went with my set as normal. And that's, that's the yeah. song that he started with. Yeah. The funny thing is that if you are going to change anyone's set, fat boy slim is probably a better, he's going to be a little more receptive to, Hey man, can you not play fucking in heaven as you drop a beat that just sounds like, that's a you good know what song, I mean? Man. That's a good song. <laughs> I, do, I do like that. Fat boy slim. All right. Here's This is a, a big paragraph for me. So let's check this out. During his set, someone pulled a van into the middle of the crowd. Someone got to the van, opened the sliding door, and inside looked inside it looked like a girl who was probably 14 or 15 years old, completely passed out with her pants down and a guy pulling his pants up. The guy who was driving the van was completely fucked off. People who helped get the van out of the hangar said that the dude was out of it. Completely fucked up, by the way. Fucked up. Fucked up. Sorry. See, I can't. It's a little text for me. Yeah. So basically, it's, yeah. So yeah, it was. This is the guy driving the van was fucked up. They would. So they, that was. That was like eyewitnesses. Get, multiple people. They get to. They got to the van. Like they, this van just kind of came. And this is a story I had never even heard of. The van got into the hangar, and they said that the dude driving was just so fucking lit. Like out of it. And then they said when they opened the sliding glass or the sliding the sliding door of the van, like it was some shit. And yeah. it was in one of those moments like, well, how the fuck do we handle this shit? Because we got to make sure yeah. that, A, somebody doesn't use this thing. Because, I mean, they truly pulled it into the middle of thousands of fucking people inside this hangar. Yeah. Fuck. Fucking crazy. How? So he, he just drove up, slowly through the crowd yeah, of people just, and, they and they got, parted? Yeah, it's just kind of like going in like this. And the people just got the fuck out of the way. So then they got there. And then they, they, I don't know what happened with the people that were inside. But they got out. Cause, oh, and it's funny, too, because um, my wife had been asking me. As we're watching this footage, she asked if our, she's like, would you ever let our daughter go to, go to something like this? I was like, fuck no. And then we got to that mm-hmm. point where that thing happens. Mm-hmm. They go, that's why. That's yeah, why yeah. she's never going to yeah. shit like that. Like, unless I'm Jesus. there and we're handcuffed together and I can beat the fuck out of people who try to do anything to her. Yeah. Other than that, uh-uh. sorry. So anyway, so Fatboy Slim, he ended up getting rushed out of the hangar because things started to fucking escalate pretty, uh, pretty quickly there. Yeah, that's and during the Sunday morning press conference, John, how do I say it? How do sure. I say it, Brandon? Share, John, share, John, share. Do you believe it? Was still trying to spin the narrative. <laughs> he was still trying to spin the narrative, and all the organizers were basically patting each other on the back seriously. Oh, dude, yeah, no that, wonder. In that press conference, the mayor he was so confident with how everything was going and how amazing it was on Sunday morning that he invited them back. He's like, "Let's do this again next year." Oh, God. No way. White men made a lot of money and said, let's just do the whole thing again. No way. No (laughs) way. Public health took samples of the water that was on site. I don't want to finish this paragraph. Why don't I want to finish this paragraph? Come on, baby. They took... 
By Sunday, when they went to check the samples, the stench was overwhelming. Every sample was contaminated with feces. One woman from the Netflix documentary even got trench mouth. What the fuck is that? So she's one of the women that they interview in the documentary and she's like she had cold sores everywhere and just it's fucking gross and so and this is what so when you see people from woodstock 99 that are cool like swimming in mud it ain't mud it's shit it's poop because there weren't enough bathrooms they weren't well maintained and there were long lines so they they did have the bathrooms they did have showers for people they did have the uh water fountains for people to get to the water but it wasn't enough for the amount of the crowd. So the frustrations boiled over and people ended up breaking the pipes. So then it just started to flood everything and all of the outhouses started to overflow. And so it just became this me- like, and I apologize for anybody who's listening who's completely fucking grossed out because it's disgusting. It's, well, you, at least you weren't there. Imagine the people that were there. It was just, it was shit. And so as my wife and I are watching this documentary and we're watching these people run in the mud, it's just like, that's poop. Like, that's, Jesus. That's poop. Keep going. Come on. Oh, I, I can't oh, no, shake no, it. Good. I can't you're shake the, it. I've got the yeah, feeling right here. You get to talk about the peace wall next. Okay. Wait a minute. Oh, this is... Sorry, I didn't realize that you, you were reading. I thought you were just talking. You are reading the paragraph. That's how me. good I am okay. at what I do. You're right. You're right. You're a professional. Tell, I started realizing when we started doing the shorts how, how little credit I had given you for your professionalism <laughs> with the way that... I can't sound like you in the shorts. I can only sound like me. And I've got to... Fi- anyway, I've got to figure that out. All right. I'm really Go good to the at next sentence. Fake. Part of the wall for the venue was called the Peace Wall. I don't want to finish this sentence either. This is we're getting into some gnarly shit. Okay. Yeah. Oh, dude. Th- rather th- than just having, rather than just having ugly plywood going up, they painted on it in the style of the original Woodstock. A 100 foot section of this wall ended up being torn down, like the um. Come on, what's the name of it? It's not the Great Wall of China. It's the one that was the communist oh, the one. The Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall. Thank you. Fucking totally spaced. What are you talking about? Okay, dude? anyway, here we go. And, I can't hear get to the good bit right up yeah, and that was and it was and also that one hundred foot section too is that a lot of the stuff that I was reading at the time wasn't necessarily that people were tearing the wall down to get in. They were tearing the wall down to get the fuck out. Like Jeez. they were they were trying to leave. Like we've said, I mean you said it in the last episode. It was kind of like a prison. prison. Yeah. Yeah. So the Red Hot Chili Peppers, they were headliners on Sunday. Megadeth was over on the other stage, and they kept teasing something big. In the documentary, they have them on the phone during interviews, like the promoters, saying that we've got something big planned. So the rumors began to fly, where it was, was going to be Michael Jackson, Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, Guns N' Roses, Prince. These were all mm. names that were thrown out. Could you fucking imagine if any of those acts had come out? Imagine Red Hot Chili Peppers wrap up, and fucking Prince comes out there. Holy yeah. fuck. Guns yeah, and Roses that would comes be, out there. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, none of that. Yeah. None of that. None of that should happen. None of that happened. Uh-uh. The big thing that I'm going to say now that was planned was the candlelit vigil during the Chili Peppers set and footage of Jimi Hendrix after they were done. Yeah, that's it. So do you they remember how I footage. said that gun violence was going to play a bigger role in Woodstock 99? Uh, yep. So that was the whole point behind this candlelight vigil is that the organizers were going to hand out candles uh, for this candlelit vigil. And that's kind of what, what led to the fires, obviously, is that they're handing hundreds of thousands of people fucking candles. And it was for a candlelight vigil for gun violence. So that's that's really one of the things that led to it. And in the Netflix documentary, they talk about how um, one of the stage managers he's on the full he's like on the on the walkie-talkie with um, John Shear, where he's like, you can't you can't hand out the candles. The fire marshal's not approved it. We can't fucking do this. Yeah. And John Shear was like, Nah, fuck you, I'm gonna do it. Dude. Like I think there's actual if I remember correctly because I didn't I didn't get this note, but I, I, if I remember correctly, there's an actual quote like. Live footage of John Shear basically saying, "No, we're gonna fucking do it." Is it in? in the, oh man! Okay, yeah, cool. dude, I'm telling you, I can't wait till you see the documentary. It's gonna be great. Here's the problem, though. I've actually been at one of those things where they hand out candles at a festival. I, I did one of them once. It's a, it's a 
mind-blowingly beautiful experience to be in an entire field or something with thousands of people holding candles up like i did it once at a thing called the woodford folk festival when i was like 19 and it was and i was so high but it was awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> but no, like read, well, it read was the awesome. next part here read the next part and the, that's why i'm saying i was i was about to fucking land i was doing you i was doing you i was leading into it and you blew it so the, the it looked pretty cool when they did it at woodstock but it quickly turned into bonfires john share do you can he came out <laughs> stage to tell people that this was an issue and that the fire department was coming to put out the fires well no they but were not they were not they were not put out the fires they told him flat no. out we can't get out there safely so we're not going to do it and in the documentary he gets pissed he's like fuck you that's your job you should go out and put out these fires and it's like well if they nope. can't get out there safely no you're the fucking dipshit that yeah. handed a hundred thousand people yeah. candles yeah and i remember and then this might be in this next section but i remember one of the things that got played on the news when this happened was a recording of a dude on the radio when the fires started, where the guys that were in charge of security and evac and safety literally just said, fuck it, dude, let it burn. It's all going down. Let's get the fuck out of here. Like once the, once the second like tower was set fire to, they just said, it's, it's, fuck, it's a riot. There's nothing we can do. Just get out. And that was probably right after the fire marshal said, we're not coming in. It, it, it just it escalated past the point of control. At which point the Chili Peppers, they came out for their encore. The lead singer, Anthony Kiedis, commented on the fires, comparing them to Apocalypse Now. On the mic? Oh, oh, He said that oh, on the microphone? Oh, yeah. And, 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 what? And. Dude, check out how this timed and, and, out. And, and, so I've got my little Rolling Stone trivia here. So yeah. this was, this one popped up. Monday, August 1st. So one week ago from when we're recording this. It'd be like three weeks ago from when this episode finally drops. Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers compared Woodstock 99 to which film? A, The Wizard of Oz. B, Natural Born Killers. C, Apocalypse Now. Or D, The Deer Hunter. Right there. Look at that. Beautiful. Full circle. But after playing Sir Psycho Sexy, they went on to play Jimi Hendrix's Fire. That probably didn't calm the crowd down. This apparently, what oh fuck, man? I'm sorry. I just, I just have this visual of like, if you were there and you knew, oh my god, this is about to get crazy. I hope they do do some. Can you do something to calm us down? And then they start playing. Let me stand fire. next to your fire. I mean, Let me Jesus stand next to your fire. That would literally be the moment when the guys were on the microphone saying, get the fuck out, it's all going down. It was apparently not done in a reaction to the fires, but had already been planned, but of course they couldn't change their minds. Katie said in his autobiography that Hendrix's sister had asked them to play fire in honor of Jimmy. Remember at Woodstock 94, the Chili Peppers made a wardrobe, chain, wardrobe change to Jimi Hendrix's outfit from the original Woodstock. So it is nice in theory, but I think that Jimi Hendrix's sister and Jimi Hendrix's memory might have preferred in that moment to say, you know what? Fuck it. Just play Blood Sugar Sex Magic and get off the fucking stage. Or what if they were like, okay, so we're going to go into All Along the Watchtower now? Oh, fuck, wait. No. Yeah. So, so after the Chili the Peppers... Yeah, yeah, after the Chili Peppers, they started playing uh, footage of Jimi Hendrix and the crowd... And, and basically, so the, again, the crowd was expecting something bigger. Amazing. They were kind of hoping yeah. that there was going to be something after the Chili Peppers. Yeah. And they just kind of came out and they're like, that's it, see you guys. On stage. They were like, fucking get out of here. And so as the crowd was leaving the East stage, they made their way through the vendor village because that was kind of in the middle of the compound. And that's you can hear as they're as they're going that direction, you hear the, fuck you, I won't do what you tell. Like they started to chant that. And then that's oh, when, God. really when all hell broke loose. This is when the looting started and everything really went south. I was going to say, if you're on your way out and you're going past the food trucks, those food trucks are done. It got to the point that propane tanks were exploding in the fires, completely destroying the vendor trucks. So, yeah, this is when people were getting hurt. So by Monday morning, they had an unscheduled press conference. Obviously, the, the festival is over. They weren't supposed to do a press conference on, on Monday, but with what happened, mm. they did. The organizers said it was not as bad as people thought. It was just a few bad people that caused the whole thing, and they couldn't, uh, and they continued to deny any blame whatsoever. Because they're, they're being and asked questions about, do you think any of this had to do with, with the price of the tickets or the price of the stuff inside the venue or the fact that it was fucking hot? And then, yeah. for them, it's like, oh, oh it, was just, it was just a few bad people. Oh, wait till you get the quote from John Shear about the rapes. Holy fuck. Jesus oh, Christ. Fuck. Just wait. Oh, just wait, buddy. 
All right. So that Monday, the rest of the staff showed up to the offices and, oh, had to sign NDAs. Very interesting. And then in one of the shots kind of here at the end, it's uh, somebody has spray painted on a wall. Listen to rage down with profit stock. So now here's my question. Where the fuck did they get spray paint? Where you're inside Woodstock. Where the fuck did you get spray paint? That's a very good question. Ah. That's a very good question. No one. Ah. Did anyone ask that in the documentary? No. See, you're absolutely right. I asked the question. Okay. Don't get asked. Listen to rage down with profit stock. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, this is fucking, yeah. From the promoters and organizers, you hear the word angst as the reason for the riots. Idiots. From the concert goers, you hear the word greed. And yeah, sorry, I have to agree with the latter. Yeah. Well, it's funny, like, God, so much of the history of rock, it's, I'm so tired of the word angst at this point. Because when we started with grunge, it was like, it was the angst music, and it was for angsty teens. And it's like, be anything other than just fucking angsty constantly. How so about, in a, how a about recent interview for the Net- yeah. So in the recent yeah. interview for the Netflix documentary, Michael Lang was talking about the attendees and he said, quote, you can't vet the people that buy your tickets. So again, even th- so this happened the interview happened last year, I believe, because he passed away just a few months after the interview. So Michael Lang passed away okay. just just recently, I think it was the beginning of twenty twenty two. So Okay. But he was still to this day just kind of being like, well, you can't really vet the people that show up, so it's not our fault. Yeah, so no one wanted to take any accountability. Okay, so now we're going to get to. Oh, fuck. I'm gonna, I'm gonna struggle with this. I, I don't know what it, I don't know what it says yet, guys. John Share was talking about the rapes that were reported from Woodstock '99, and his response was basically, "With a crowd of two hundred thousand people, you should expect that many rapes." relating to the size of the festival to a small city. That's fucking, that's fucking shocking. Yep, yep, that's, doesn't even require comment. We can just let him stew in that one for a little while. So Carson Daly of MTV, he would talk about the uh, the hatred the MTV, uh, MTV crew would get from the crowd. Because as much as Corn Limp Biscuit, Rage Against the Machine were played on MTV, so were Britney Spears, NSYNC, and the Backstreet Boys. The crowd felt this made the entire MTV crew fakes and certainly let them know it on a regular basis by chanting at them while they were live and throwing stuff at them. There's footage of Carson Daly up on this platform as he's trying to broadcast for MTV, and they're just hurling shit at him. Jesus. Yeah, dude. I don't get... So they were. that's my point. Like, they were just angry... Like if you put a mil- if you put a bunch of fucking people in a hot room and say you can't leave, and then say oh well, you'd like a glass of water, it's going to be seven bucks. Eventually, someone's going to stand up out of their chair and say, "Fucking someone, fucking do something." Fuck you! I'm what you tell me. Yeah, like if you just put people in a room in a in in a, in a regular business anything. So you put them, it's the same fucking thing. And then you're like, oh, you're surprised that they're upset about one little thing. It's exact, it's, it's, it's escalated and it's gone insane. From Woodstock 69 to 99, none of the groups that performed at 69 took the stage at 99, but some of the band members did. There were also some misconnections and declined invites. John, how do I say this? Entwistle. John Entwistle, Entwistle of The Who. He performed a solo set. That's true. At 99, and then you had Mickey That's Hart, fucking... the drummer for the uh, Grateful Dead. He played with his band, uh, Planet Drum. Awesome. Jeff Beck, no way. I didn't know any of this. Jeff Beck of the Yardbirds went zero for two. He was scheduled to perform at the orig- original Woodstock with his group, the Jeff Beck, sorry, the Jeff Beck group, broke up the week beforehand. That's amazing. He was also invited to play Woodstock 99, but because of a scheduling conflict, he backed out. I have never met Jeff Beck personally. Actually, that's a lie. I did meet him once at a gig, and it was because we had a mutual friend, and I was able to go, hey, man, I'm a friend of Robert Knight. And he was, oh, yeah, Robert. He is the most chill dude in the world. And I, oh, I genuinely wonder, would he have been bummed about it? I think a guy like Jeff Beck, who is literally the greatest guitar player in the history of the world, would be like, thank God I didn't go to either of those fucking nightmare shows. Cause he's a chill dude. He's got like, he doesn't want to deal with that type of aggravation. Sorry, sorry, no. but Jeff Beck's amazing. Go ahead. That's, we want those side stories. That's why people come yeah. here. So uh, the Doors, they had rejected an offer to play Woodstock 69. And uh, we talked about this when we were talking about Woodstock 69 with Robbie Krieger had said uh, that they thought it was just going to be a second class repeat of the Monterey Pop Festival. Well, he ended up actually showing up at Woodstock 99 with Creed 
during their set to perform Roadhouse Blues. That's wow! One of the members of the Doors played with Creed. Those guys are so lucky, man. They got to do everything. Foo Fighters were set to perform, but withdrew to finish work on their album Nothing Left to Lose. Foo Fighters would have been good. That would have been a fun thing to see. Like, because Nirvana did Nirvana play '94? No, because remember, because Kurt passed away earlier that year. He, he passed That's away in right. April, and they were trying to yeah, get yeah. him because that was also right around the time Lollapalooza was offering up 10 mil for uh, for Nirvana to come play. So, I, I, like, I, I try to think about who could they get now that would be a great band for a Woodstock-type show, and Foo Fighters is, like, the top of the list for me. Like, I think that that, would, like, that band would do amazing like they would be one of your yeah. headliners for friday saturday or sunday oh yeah yeah for sure i mean so, that's we should that'll be the encore we'll talk about who the best oh, yeah it'll be go. fun so sugar ray they were scheduled to perform but they backed out because lead singer mark mcgrath became ill that wouldn't have gone well if sugar ray was on a woodstock they would have gotten stuff thrown at them like the backstreet boys for sure so train yeah, Woodstock because we've talk, remember we've talked about this because they they were the ones like their early stuff was way heavier. Yeah. It was you know it was new that, metal. Come my baby, come come my baby. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. They were new metal. Oh, wait, no, that was I'm t- I've got the wrong fucking song there. God damn it! I was thinking that was of Crazy Town. Crazy Town. That was Crazy was there, Town. Uh, Shifty Shell Shock. Yeah, that band was dope too. I wonder what happened to those guys. I wonder if they still dude. Look he the ended same. up on he ended up on a bunch of like rehab shows. Oh, that makes sense. Why does that make sense? Anyway, <laughs> I was going to say, that's a shitty thing to say right there. I'm sorry if you're watching, dude. I have no idea what your name even is. Shifty Shell like, Shock. No, you look like Shifty Shell. He just looks like the sort of dude like with the with the rings and the tattoos and the, the steroided up and then the, the tiny spiky blonde hair. I'm like, this guy probably has some issues. Wouldn't surprise me if he winds up in rehab. And what do you know? Anyway, train wreck. Woodstock 99 on Netflix, a three-part documentary with each part covering one day. Why am I reading this out? Because it's continued education. So we're, this is where we're Oh, this is continued like, hey, education? This is, it says it right above it. Oh, it's this. Okay. Continued education. Trainwreck Woodstock. No, forget it. It's past. It's done. So and obviously the that's, that's the one that we've been talking about the most because that's the one that we yeah. just came out on Netflix. There's also another one called Woodstock 99 Peace, Love, and Rage, which, on, uh, which is on HBO. Now, this one's interesting because the documentary spends a big chunk of time essentially blaming rich white guys for the problems. Where they're like, well, if you just take a, uh, you know, a bunch of meathead white kids, what do you think is going to happen? And my brain immediately, I'm like, could you imagine that if anybody said that about another race and a yeah. festival and something going wrong and the fucking uproar? And it's, yeah. it's, it, it blows my mind how much time they spent on that. Now, granted, were there a bunch of shitheads? Did they happen to be white? Absolutely. But the way yeah. that they patterned it, it was like, oh my God. And uh, they're like specifically pointing the finger at white boys that listen to new Metal. Guilty! Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there was a, a YouTuber, Finn McKenty. He brought up a good point because he was watching the trailer for the HBO documentary back before it came out. And he said, well, if this was the case, if it is just where you get a bunch of rich white guys together, you're going to have these fucking problems. OzFest would always end up like that. NotFest would always end up like that. Family Values would always end up like that. All of these different festivals would have the same way. And that we know that that's not the case. This was clearly with Woodstock 99. As we have gone through sort of the entire weekend, it was a sequence and series of events that, that built to this. It was not one particular person. It was not one particular thing. However, Me personally, I would look more at a guy like John Shear, yeah. who completely ducks blame, hands fucking yeah. candles to a bunch of people, prices yeah. the shit out of it, traps people in there, and then he's like, well, it's, it's their fucking fault. Yeah. The problem is that there are... This is, it's interesting when you think about... I'm going to come into to a very interesting point, but there's two types of people in the music business. There are people who look at the music business and go, there is a lot of money to be made if you treat it like a product. If you just treat it like it's laundry detergent or fucking popsicles or fucking Pop-Tarts, lots of money can be made if you just forget the human factor. The problem is there's a whole bunch of people like, for example, the people who put on Family Values, Not Fest, probably KLAQ festivals, lots of different types of festivals, even if they're not paying too much attention to like, oh, we're not really concerned with which bands make it on. But they are concerned with making sure there is a good experience for people because 
they want to have a good experience. They want to be known for putting on something that was fun and good so they can do it the following year. There is a little bit of a legacy to it. They're putting their name on it. There is there is reasons why they go, well, music is supposed to not be a hellish horrible apocalyptic experience it's supposed to be fun and it's a good business model and also there are a lot of people in the music business that say well i want to work on things like that i want to be involved in music and put on a show where there's enough water there's enough fucking toilets there's like there's basic human needs that are fulfilled so everyone has fun but if you are coming at it as okay music makes money I could either go and sell pop tarts or I could sell tickets. I'll just do the things that sell the most tickets and save as much money on the back end. Then you bring no humanity to the concept of putting on a music festival when music is a vehicle for humanity to connect with one another. You've literally created something where people are not connected. They naturally disconnect from the whole experience because they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to fucking weather the storm and the heat and the food and the shitty people and this guy's angry and that girl's getting fucked up and then this band and then feedback and then the whole thing, it escalates. But it is, I personally think it's 100%, just for what you've told me, I haven't even seen the documentary yet. It is fucking greed. It is because a couple of guys got together and said, we're gonna make as much money with as little expense, it's business. And if people get raped or killed, that's just the cost of doing business. Yeah. And that's why it happened, because it wasn't run by people who care at all about music. They just cared about money. And so I totally agree with people when they say greed was the problem. It was old white greed. It wasn't young, white, stupid new metal kids listening to it. It was old white greed being and then everyone else following the fucking breadcrumbs that they left for three days until people lost their shit. Yeah. And I, like, again, you know? like, like we've kind of at least tried to point out in this in these past couple episodes is that it was a full series of events that just led up to the shit that went down so on that note you go go check this stuff out you can go to youtube you can see the performances if you want again I, like shim and i have mentioned it can be a little bit rough like beginning of limp biscuit set even corn set when you get that feedback and stuff it's just oh. it's tough but it's worth fighting through if you want to because some of this stuff is really it's a really good performance um, mm. And then you can find, you know, news clips and, and other kind of things on, on Woodstock 99. But those are the two mm. big documentaries. Obviously, we got Trainwreck and then Woodstock 99, Peace, Love, and Rage. But now we're going to move on to On This Date, which isn't exactly on this date. It's uh, June 1st, 1999, Napster was released. That is, that is, it's crazy, isn't it? So for anyone who doesn't know, which might actually be quite a few people, Napster was a peer-to-peer file-sharing service that specialized in MP3 files. Peer-to-peer, for anyone that doesn't know, basically means if I've got a computer, Brandon's got a computer, a whole bunch of other people from all around the world, but we're all connected to the internet. Napster is like a little library where you can connect all of your computers to the same thing and go, well, I'm going to share my file to Brandon's computer. And you just kind of like, you open your hard drive to everyone and say, do you want to copy this file? Okay, I want to copy that file. And you're just sharing files back and forth with the internet completely for free. And it's literally the moment. It is very, very important for anyone who, who thinks like, oh, Napster, whatever. It is the moment when the music industry died. Yep. It's still taking 20 years to, the, the ripple effects are being felt now. But it was the moment when it went, hey, CDs cost between $10 and $30 in some countries. And now they're free, overnight free. Destroyed an entire business and, and all the livelihoods of everyone that make records. And like so it's saying that because they have struggled because this was the transition from an actual physical copy of this song, whether it's on a CD or a cassette or a piece of vinyl. And now it's just sitting on your computer somewhere like it's not even an actual thing anymore. It's just it's yeah. a file that sits on your computer and the music industry is still trying to figure out how to deal with that even 20 years later, because when it comes to streaming numbers, how do you how do you dictate streaming numbers? How does like how does one stream compare to one sold album? Like if you wanted to listen to Limp Bizkit's Significant Other, you went and bought the album. Now if you yeah. want to listen to something that's new out there, you can go stream a couple of the songs. How does that equate? How do they rank that? And it's and it's yeah. it's one of those things that, that that they're still trying to figure out. But at its peak, Napster had about 80 million registered users. Yeah, which is actually not. That's I actually thought it was a lot more. But it was enough to, you know, anyway, we'll go through this. High speed networks in college dormitories became overloaded 
with as much as 61% of external network traffic consisting of MP3 file transfers. Because of this, many colleges blocked the use of Napster. Keep in mind, at that time, MP3s were not two to three megs. They were like 20 to 50 megs for an MP3 before the compression had figured itself out. So it took a long time. Anyway. So then Metallica, they were the ones that obviously was they ended up battling Napster. They discovered a demo of I Disappear on Napster. That's the song that they had on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack, which led to the song being played on several radio stations before it was even released, and it kind of upset them. Yeah, and Metallica eventually sued Napster along with Dr. Dre, and I'm sorry, I don't want to go through your sentences, but I'm going to talk about that in a minute, so you go ahead. Well, on uh, July 11th, 2011, Napster shut down its entire network in order to comply with an injunction that had been filed because of the lawsuits. Yes, and Napster tried to convert from the free service to a subscription service, but had difficulty obtaining the licenses for major label music. Did someone say Spotify? Well, fucking see, 20 and years later. And that's where we're at. Now you got Spotify, Apple Music. Yeah. And there was a time there, too, where Napster, uh, it was still technically around because they had paired up with Rhapsody. Uh, they paired up with, they merged with Rhapsody in 2011. And then in 2016, they actually dropped the Rhapsody brand. And now it's called Napster. I believe it's still around. So, I did not know that. And the truth be told, I don't think anyone cares. Everyone's on Spotify. No one cares. Uh, Why would you pay for a, like, seriously, like Napster won. Fucking Napster One, like, well, I mean, no, yeah, sorry, can, not Napster. You, Spotify, Spotify One, Napster. You can died. listen to those subscription services for free, or you can pay for them. I pay for them just because I don't want the ads and I want better quality music. Because they, they, my ears can hear the difference between a song that has a higher, like, it's a higher bit rate than one that does not because of the streaming yeah. service. And if okay. I was going to so use there's something, two things. For, sorry, well, go like ahead. I was going to use something for commercial, and I needed to record it. I wanted to make sure I was getting the highest possible right. quality. Right. Well, in, so finally on this thing, Napster would sponsor a tour by Limp Bizkit in the summer of 2000, and we will be covering sig- uh, Limp Bizkit's significant other as well as other aspects of the band very soon, which we are very much looking forward to. Next week. But Next fucking week, mate. There is one interesting thing, which is um, that I was talking to a friend of mine on the inside, um, inside of our music business stuff. So Spotify... The reason that people probably don't realize is the reason that Spotify blew up is because, as you were saying here, uh, high speed, hold on, let me go back. Napster tried to convert from a free service to a subscription service, had difficulty obtaining the licenses for major label music. Do you know what that most likely means when they say they had difficulty? Like they couldn't do it. it No, means three things. Are you trying to be two to three things? One, no, I'm saying one, major labels were probably overcharging. They were probably saying, oh, well, if you want to get licenses for it, it's going to be a huge amount of money because they were still overvaluing back then and saying, oh, well, no, music is $30 an album. And they're like, dude, it's changed. Like, if you want people to, they're going to have to pay less because it's online. They couldn't see, they couldn't put the dots together at major labels. Then finally, uh, I'm just coming back to this, da, 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 tried to convert from a free to a subscription service, obtaining the licenses. Finally, the second thing that probably would have happened is labels would have said, well, we're going to partner with you. We're not just going to give you a license. We're going to work with you, but really run the show. So Napster didn't do that clearly because they didn't fucking sign the deal. But Spotify has a really good deal with the labels. And the reason that the labels and Spotify and the reason that Spotify is as big as it is is because there was Apple Music, there was Amazon, there's a whole bunch of other places that have been able to do this. But Spotify was the first one that literally went to the labels and were like, how do you guys want to run it? We'll give you whatever you want. Just give us the music. And so whatever the deal is on the back end, it was Spotify was most likely the first one that just said, hey, hell, you guys, we, we won't tell you what to do. You tell us what to do. We'll just be the middleman. Well, and this, and- is, this is probably why... Um, the deal for the artists in regards to something like Spotify is pretty fucking terrible. Because yeah. I know you and I have talked about this. I can't remember who it was, but it, 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 it's a guy that's in a pretty big name band. Um, not like a band like a Pearl Jam that's got you know hundreds of millions of streams or a billion streams out there. But it's a mm. decent band that gets a lot of streams. Yeah. He spends more on his Spotify subscription than he oh, yeah. gets in royalties from Spotify. Yeah. Like that's fucking crazy. No, it's not. It's it's the way that it's been structured, and it's it's what it is. Whatever. But here's the thing that's interesting: that for we're going to radio stuff now. 
payola is not covered. The laws that govern payolas oh, not being allowed to do shit. it. Oh, that's Fucking such a Spotify doesn't doesn't apply. It doesn't no. apply to Spotify. So really, so for anybody who doesn't know what payola is, it's essentially like let's say I work for a radio station, and a guy who has a local burger joint comes to me and he says, "Hey man, uh, can you go?" And this is actually um, going to be perfect for going into Limp Biscuit when you talk about payola and plugola. Right. So this, like, if the guy for the burger joint comes to me and says, or actually, no, I take it back. A better example would be a guy in a local band. They have their shirt, and they're like, we'll give you 100 bucks if you go wear our T-shirt when you go up on stage at this festival and do your stage announcements. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. I can't do that yeah. because everything has to go through the radio station and because the radio station can't take money for certain things. A record label used to be able to show up with a bag of money and a giant bag of Coke and say, play our single, and the radio station's like, cool. <laughs> Fucking yeah. Do. And that's how the yeah. fucking that's how it went down. But it's to the point for where you decades. Can't do it. Yeah, and Limp Bizkit made news back in the late '90s with the song "Counterfeit" because they pay, kind of paid for airtime on KUFO, which was a the rock station in Portland. Now, coincidentally enough, KUFO. I you know what? I'm gonna have to reach out to him. So Al Scott was the name of my boss in Eugene. He was the music director for KUFO when they made the deal. And he's talked to me about the deal. He's like, yeah. He goes, I remember right. sitting down with the record reps at lunch as we brokered the deal. And he goes, we didn't do anything wrong. We didn't do anything illegal. Like everything was above right. board. All the lawyers signed right. off on it. And right. because it was. Because, it was, because here's the thing. But we should clarify. Payola was made illegal. They basically yes. said you can't just record labels. You can't just walk in with a bag of Coke and money. And then we play what you tell us to play. There has to be another way that you decide what makes it on the radio. But it's not because people request it. It's not based on actual public demand. So the big question is, well, how does what gets played on the radio get decided now that people aren't paying for it, the playtime? Oh, I can tell you that. Yeah? It's all testing. Like, they, it, it is. It, it's dictated by... They spend... I mean, shit, I did a short on this. I mean, they, that radio stations spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to find out what they should play. And right. there's a lot of different methods. There's methods where they sit people in a room and they play an eight-second hook. That's it. You get eight seconds. And you get to yeah. say whether or not you know the song or you don't know the song. And then you rate the song from like one to five. If enough people say they don't even know the song, they could say, I don't know it, but they rated a five. It's not going to get played. They right. wanted the stuff that people know. So it doesn't fucking matter if people like the song or the clip that they heard. It's completely whether or not they know the song. I don't, okay, I don't want to say completely, but that's a major underlying factor on whether or not something gets played. Is that song recognizable? Like, obviously, when it comes to new music or new music stations, you're not really dealing with that because that's a different animal. But then they would do that. And I remember that we do call outs where you would call out to people on the phone. And mm -hmm. I was the production director that would piece together these hooks of the songs. And I was always told, make sure when you start it, you're not starting the clip with like a, a heavy downbeat or you're not starting with right. something that's too abrasive because if you do that, the person's going to, they're going to yeah. jerk away and they're going to be like, nope, yeah. click, don't like it. So you got, yeah. you had to make sure that, and it, it wasn't to, to, it wasn't necessarily to dictate what they liked and they didn't like. We just wanted right. to make sure that everything was kind of on a level playing field. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they yeah. would vote on that stuff. And then essentially all that stuff comes through and that's the playlist. That's that radio station's playlist. And that's what they play, and that's it. And that's why they say, why does the radio station play the same stuff over and over again? It's, that's oh, why. And to go back to what you're saying about Spotify with the payola and plugola and stuff like that, yeah, it's not illegal for Spotify. No. They can take as much fucking money as they want. So if you're ever listening... If they, if they did. Not saying that they do. Not saying that they do. But what the point is, is that the laws that were applied to All payola... All they were do. written for radio, for public broadcast, and Spotify is an internet streaming service, so it's not a public performance. So the laws that apply to radio don't apply to Spotify. And though, and any law that may come up that says, well, you can't just pay to get your song on a playlist, the, those laws probably won't come to pass for another five to ten years. Yeah, so it, the question becomes, well, well, who well, decides what's on these playlists and what well, is the compensation? And the other thing too, like let's we, we can't just throw Spotify under the bus. Like I love Spotify. I use no, Spotify not I at all. The service. It's it's streaming services in general. It's the music streaming services that we're talking about that don't have yeah. this payola law that's in effect because radio stations have to abide by that law. We I, I'd have to sign it. It was like every year 
you'd get this giant fucking thing of paperwork that's basically like you got to sign this to say that you're not going to do payola or plugola and you're not going to accept money or go do things that that legally you cannot do. Yeah. So and it's not it's not coming from the radio station. It's a legal thing. So yeah. But yeah. So anyway, so let's wrap that up. Let's get to the younger kid. Fuck, man. Way too long. Look at it. Yeah. Hour, sorry. We should, we could we could chop this into half no, and make this part the encore. No, It'd be man. better if this was the encore. Hmm? All right, start it right now. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. We're right into it. I'm, I almost don't want it to end because I've had such a good time doing fucking Woodstock, and I can't wait to do Limp Biscuit very very soon. Oh, don't worry. All right. Thank okay. you for listening. So hold on. Go ahead. We're gonna, we're gonna do Limp Biscuit, but yeah. we're also gonna start diving into like Ozfest because Ozfest okay. is a big one. Because remember, Ozfest started because. Ozzy Osbourne got denied going on Lollapalooza. They were like, eh, he's not really the music that we like. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's going to be so a good they, one. That so is going to be a good one. Sharon Osbourne was like, fuck you, I'm doing Ozzy. Yes. And they did. Fucking A. All right. All right. Go ahead, hit the like and subscribe. Thank you very much to everyone for hanging out. Go, you right there? You're about, to, you're about to pass out. And go and sign up for uh, investorshare.com if you have any interest in learning about how to make money in the crypto space. That is my company that I own and run. So go and check it out. And uh, in the meantime, we'll see you next week for the history of rock. His name is Brandon. He's the DJ. His name is Shim. He's a rock star. Class. And then the music kicks in and then we're like, and then we're like, oh, now we're in the encore. And now we can talk about what bands you think would actually make a good Woodstock right now. I I still think Foo Fighters. Well, well, if you, is it like if you had to, if you got to pick your own headliner for a festival that you were putting on, this This is what we used to do in the band all the time when we were starting out. This would be a pretty cool. So I I remember I, I had an assignment um, when I was in college and I can't remember what the specific assignment was, but I did like a fake concert promo and right. it was all about, um, you know, these bands are coming to town. It was called the slap nuts tour, slap nuts tour, 2003. And, um, God, who was it that we had? It, there was corn, um, edema tool. Like it was just this insane lineup. This, uh, like mm. the bands that were fucking huge in 2003. And I remember I played my demo for Dave Newmy, who was the program director of KUFO at the time. And I remember him kind of sitting there and he chuckles and he goes, how much money do you have for this concert? Like, cause his brain being the program director, he's immediately going to fuck that band costs this much. That band costs yeah. this much. That yeah. band. See, and that was always the cool thing. Like working with Kevin at, at KLAQ and stuff is that, he would kind of keep me in the loop on how much certain bands were asking and, and how mm. much it was going to cost for a certain show and stuff like that. Cause there's a lot of things that people don't quite understand go into the planning. Cause first of all, if you throw, like if they're throwing a street fest, generally you need to get bands that are in the vicinity on a tour already. Like they mm. need to kind of stop by. You can't just be like, Hey, <coughs> just fucking ship on in for this one and then go fuck off. Yeah. Like you need yeah. to kind of be already in the vicinity. Like we did that with your tour <laughs> when you came through El Paso and we were trying to like, you know, we were like, okay, so we sent, we went to Abilene, right? We sent you to Abilene yeah. first and then you shipped on over to El Paso and then you guys hit the road uh, and then and hoofed it. To, yeah. It's, to it's a lot of planning that usually happens months in advance. That's why they, they book all these shows six months in advance and they go, okay, who's out in six months over this one week period, who's going to be within a, you know, 200 mile radius and how can we figure it out? And they, it's a massive undertaking. It's a massive undertaking. So yeah, I can totally, but I don't, I don't think, I don't think I know any bands that have come out in the last 10 years that I would go. Yeah. That one, it'd all be, it'll be like bands from, I went, yeah, I wasn't just going with like bands from the last 10 years because I was thinking that like Foo Fighters was the first one that popped into my head for some random reason. Godsmack just popped into my head. Yeah, they'd be a I great thought that they would be a great one, especially how they've they they've sort of transitioned their sound a little bit to where they're almost mm-hmm. just more straight up rock and roll band. Like I love yeah. their new stuff. I think that they would be yeah. I think they would be a great act to play. Papa Roach. Could you imagine going on for them at a Woodstock? Could you imagine them at fucking 99 when shit's going berserk and Jacoby's up there just fucking Yeah, that would have been he would have had a blast. He oh. would have had a very good time. Fuck. I think that was right before. That was right before Lincoln Park and P. Roach. Like yeah. they came out the following year. That was like 2000, 2001 was when those bands yeah. really started to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, dude, who would I pick though? Like in terms of headliners. Oh, well, the first thing I would do is I'd bring back Silverchair. 100%. I'd bring back Silverchair to play for sure. What if, what if Even though most people would be like, dude, you can pick anyone. I'm like, yeah, I'm picking them. Fuck it. 
Anyway, um, <laughs> well, I'm, try, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of uh, because you put the stipulation um, of the last ten years, and I'm trying to think. Well, of- no, but here's the thing: if if there was any band, the only band that I can think of that I'd be like, "Yep, I'm gonna fucking put the," would be Bring Me the Horizon, a band that's really come up in the last ten years, where it's like, "Yep, they should headline. That they're gonna be great. I love the music, all the good stuff." That's the only band that really is like a hard rock band. That could probably I can't think of any other fucking hard rock bands that you could say like yeah you can headline a big ass festival, you know. Falling in Reverse is starting to really come up in terms of like that like you've been around for a long time. I was gonna say, are you, are you I talking love their about, new stuff. Are you talking about bands that are are like have made it big in the in just the past ten years? Yeah, yeah, okay. bands that like they've been around since maybe two thousand and five or whatever. But like every band, you know, they need that has enough records where you could say like. Foo Fighters and Muse and Tool and like they've been around long enough where there's a legacy, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Where they're leaving a legacy. And I think, um, yeah, I think Bring Me the Horizon is the only one that I can think of where you can really go like, yeah, that's some international stuff. They've really created their own sound. They've really, you know, Falling in Reverse is coming up. I love their new stuff or his new stuff, however you put it. But, um, you know, other than that, and oh, Iron Bale's go. good, but they're they're not as long as they haven't been around as, as long crushing it. Somebody had just posted what? this on on Reddit about a year ago. It said, "Who are the best new rock bands of the last ten years?" And yeah, yeah I, I mean, I would agree with something like the Pretty Reckless. They would they would be fantastic. They'd be amazing, but they've been around since. They've been. I guess they have been around since. Well, think since, about when yeah. she was in the goddamn Grinch. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you're right, Cindy Lou Who, yeah. man. Uh, this other person also put Greta Van Fleet, which, you know, I mean, if you're not going to get Zeppelin, you might as well get Greta Van Fleet out there. Oh, and Dirty Honey. I kind of forgot about Dirty Honey. They were very Guns N' Roses. I wouldn't put them in there. I wouldn't put them in there. That's just me, though. Well, uh, Sorry just, to all the Dirty Honey fans. Um, somebody else also put here um, The Glorious Sons, which I liked. Royal Blood, which I like. I mean, these are bands that I like. Oh, here's one, I think. Oh shit! Here's actually two that came to El Paso, and I missed their show. Which Ghost one? and Volbeat. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put those. I, they're not bad bands, but we're talking about up with Guns and Roses. Uh, oh Foo no, no, Fighters, no, 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 the Machine, no, no, no. Bands, no, these are bands that I would put on the bill. Like, you put them I on the bill. I don't know. Like I don't know if I would have any of these bands close. Like I, they, I don't think that no. they would wrap things up. Although Ghost would be fucking cool with a crowd that big. Do you like Ghost? Ghost, dude. I I I, I, like them I go I got mad respect for the guy, but I I can't get into the music. It's not for me. See, I I kind of dig it. I dig it. And, but Volbeat, I fucking love too. Which is funny because yeah. when I first heard Volbeat, I was like, eh, I don't really like it. Like I really wasn't the biggest fan. And then even when I hear people now, like, oh, the music sounds the same. And I, I do that douchey, like, well, you just don't, you're not hearing what I'm hearing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't do that. Uh, I can actually, under, I understand what they're saying. Um, but no, I fucking dude, Volbeat all day, every day, baby. Are you kidding me? All day, every day? All day, Is every it like day. A, uh, when I, whenever I try to explain Volbeat to someone, I always say, imagine if Metallica was, had Elvis Presley as a lead singer. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. With a little more country in it. It's, it's, yeah. it's more rockabilly. It's kind of what I was And a saxophone, a little saxophone action rocking in the latest single. Fuck yeah, man. That was very Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. All right. Well, we should probably wrap this all up because right. it's fucking light, mate. So, yeah, mate. Thank you for right. your time, brother. Well, next week, um, we'll be sure to uh, – uh, I'll hopefully have Limp Biscuit done, and we'll do another um, – we'll keep pounding away on those remix episodes, and then we'll keep the shorts going. So for anybody here mm-hmm. who's still around for this, uh, um, this encore, it's interesting to see – where the social medias are at. So I've, I've been putting more effort into my own personal social medias uh, recently because I'm not with Original Gamer Life anymore. I learned a lot by being able to run their YouTube and social media channels. And I'm starting, like right now here on August 8th, I'm starting to see kind of the fruition of my work where I had just done this video. It was the, it was the short about how apparently Eminem died in 2006. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go to my YouTube channel. And it got... 2300 views in an hour which right now is pretty good so i'm wondering in when this drops in two weeks time am i looking at my youtube channel being like god 2300 is a down hour like that's not as much like how are like is it gonna keep going like that or is this gonna fucking level up i'm like god i wish i could get 2300 views in a day you know Mm. so it's gonna be interesting to see how all this stuff find out out. but yeah thank you everybody love you buddy love you too brother so uh, tell the All family right. I said hi. 
Always. And tell your, and, tell uh, your kid his kicks are awesome, man. Yeah, man. He's going to be – actually, i got to get out there. And I told him I was coming out in a minute, and then we did two <laughs> more episodes. All right. All right. I love you, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Bye. All right, bye.